Thank you for listening to First and Ten, brought to you by the Nashville Post. I am your host, Michael Gallagher. I am the sports reporter with the Post. I'm excited today to be joined by Braden Gall. He is the owner of 440 Sports, produces several podcasts covering everything from the Predators, Nashville SC, Vanderbilt, the Nashville sports scene in general. Uh, Braden, first of all, thank you for joining me. And second, do you want to kind of explain what 440 does? Because you guys do a lot over there. It's more than simply just recording podcasts and putting it out there. Uh, sure. Yeah. Great. Great to see you guys. Uh, great to be here. And yes, 440 Sports. Type in 440 into any podcast app that you use and you will get all of our shows. We've got a couple of partners, uh, Broadway Sports Media and Vandy Sports that both cover the Titans and, and, and um, the Commodores. We have uh, the Gold Standard Podcast, which features Adam Vingan. We cover the Nashville Predators there. We've got Club and Country, which covers Nashville SC. Um, we've got an SEC podcast called, called Fringe Element with myself, Stephen Godfrey, Aaron Dugan. We've got a daily show that comes out every morning called The 440. Uh, try to keep that under 10 minutes, keep you up to date on everything. And really the goal was to just, you know, I, I, I thought there was uh, needed to be some more conversational, maybe old school, just regular old <laughs> sports talk in this market where, but, but catered to, to the fans that kind of want their own specific um, subject matter that they're passionate about. So if you love Nashville SC, we've got a show for you. If you love the Preds, we've got a show for you. If you love the Titans, if you love college football, you know, uh, Vandy, you know, whatever, uh, we've got a show for you. So it's sort of designed to give you an a la carte menu to pick and choose what, what content you want and uh, the subject matter you care about. And then we're going to give you like really thorough, really deep dive uh, conversations about those, those topics and, and hopefully build a cool community out of the deal. So hopefully we'll see what happens. We're coming up on our one year anniversary and uh, we're, uh, we're proud to be, be rolling along. So thanks for having me, man. Yeah, make sure you go check out 440 Sports. What's really great is they have a lot of in-depth analysis. It's not the same cookie-cutter stuff you get on Sports Talk Radio. They have their place in, in the society here, but 440 Sports does a really good job of bringing you experts with each individual team in their fields, and it's not it's not the same stuff that gets regurgitated to you over the two radio stations we have here. So definitely go check them out. Something for everybody. That's what I like about 440 Sports. Uh, Braden, I brought you in. Titan season opener is a couple days away. Kick it off, you know, I mentioned these right before we started. The only thing fans want to talk about is Julio Jones. We finally get to see our first glimpse of him in a Titans uniform where he's actually playing meaningful snaps. I, I feel like one thing I like about you that you're good at is you're not really good at getting too caught up in hype machines. You're very, you temper expectations where they need to be. A lot of people give you kind of, they give you shit for it because sometimes they're like, oh, I'm really excited about this prospect. I'm really excited about this, this running back. And here you are being Mr. Realistic and people don't like hearing that, but it's very much needed. So I figure you'd be a great person to ask. How are you feeling about Julio Jones this year? And do you have any concerns about his health? He didn't play a full season last year, but if he is fully healthy and the Titans are getting who he has been traditionally over his career, that, that looks like a steal of a deal for John Robinson. Uh, you know, I, I own a podcast network by day, but I'm obviously a, a soft ligament doctor by night. So I can say definitively whether or not Julio Jones is will be healthy or not all season long. No, I health is one of those things you just sort of have to guess at. It, you know, the past is the best predictor of the future. He's played most of his career fully healthy and and full seasons and produces big time numbers when he's healthy. But you know, he's, he's not a, a spring chicken anymore. And he's had two, two moments in his career where he's missed big chunks of time. And um, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's almost impossible to predict that. Like with AJ Brown, it's, it's maybe a little different. And certainly with running backs, it's a little different. 
AJ Brown runs so violently and he's already had multiple knee injuries. Like there's, I can understand people being concerned about that because again, he, he looks, he seeks out contact and that is not necessarily what you want with a guy with multiple knee surgeries. Um, Julio's a little different. It's, he's just more of a long strider out in space. That seems a little bit more fluky. So I'm not as worried about that as much as I would be for any particular player. Um, you know, Derrick Henry, for example, I, that's he's like a human evolution experiment versus the NFL. So, like, we're just going to find out, like, if human beings have evolved past the ability to carry 400 times or whatever, whatever in a season. Um, Mike Vrabel's certainly going to find find that out. So, I, I think Julio, if he's healthy and plays 15 games, let's say out of 17, misses two games, he, he's probably going to produce pretty big numbers. Um, I don't think he's ever going to ha- have 110 catches for 1,600 yards like he did in Atlanta a couple times because that's not what this offense is. But could he do what they're asking him to do? I, absolutely. I, I think he'll, he's he, he's an exceptional talent. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, if he has over 100 yards this week against Arizona, it will he will be the fastest player in NFL history, shattering Jerry Rice's record. Uh, to get to 13,000 yards. So like he, he's an exceptional talent. So if he's on the field, he's going to make a big difference. Um, but it's impossible to predict injury. So I, I think you kind of always have to have that caveat just kind of floating around out there uh, in space. You know, I, I think AJ Brown is your primary target. I think Julio Jones is your complimentary piece and holy hell, what a complimentary piece that is to have. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of feel for Todd Downing before they made the Julio Jones trade, having, to follow up Arthur Smith and that ridiculous offensive output they had last year. And it was looking like the Titans offense was going to regress a little bit. And then they go out and they make the trade for him. And then all of a sudden Todd Downing is driving a Ferrari and he's, he's looking, he's sitting pretty right now. So all that being said, given, you know, every, every, all the players they have, Derrick Henry's still there. Ryan Tannehill is still there. You, you add Josh Reynolds, who I think is going to be a really good slot receiver. If Julio Jones is even 75% of what he used to be, I think that's a really good move as well. Marcus Johnson, Chester Rogers look like really good veteran ads as well. How, how good can this Titans offense be in your opinion? I I don't know about you. It feels unreasonable to expect the greatest offense in franchise history, which is what they did last year. Not just because, you know, statistically, you you know, I'm not, again, I'm a doctor and a mathematician now, apparently I, a regression to the mean at some point is, is pretty standard in sports, no matter the sport, no matter the topic we're talking about. And, you know, I, I don't expect them to match last year's efficiency numbers for a couple of reasons. The, the talent level isn't one of them, but you're adding, ta- t- technically you're adding Taylor Lewan, you're adding Julio Jones. So like, there's still plenty of, of elite level talent. I think John New Smith is a major loss. I think he does more things for that offense than anybody realizes. He was their gadget player, red zone target, phenomenal blocker. I, I like Anthony Ferkser and I like the tight end room, but nobody's close to John New Smith. Um, and, and more importantly, you mentioned it. Our Arthur Smith was the guy that made it all go. And we just don't know if Todd Downing can do it or not. I've, I've watched him out on the field a lot during camp. I, you know, it's hard to tell whether or not it's the same as, as Arthur Smith. It's certainly a different personality type than Arthur Smith. Um, but I think, you know, in that, in that third and eight moment, when you're down by three in the fourth quarter and you've been facing a certain front and all of a sudden you need to make a play, do you, do you have that sort of instinctual innate ability to call the right play? And I think that's a thing that just you either have, or you don't have it. And 
So we're just going to find out. I think I think that Downing is the biggest question on all in in all of this. I think the talent. I, I trust Julio Jones and AJ Brown and Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill and that offensive line at least four fifths of it to be pretty darn good. Are they a top ten offense in the NFL? Probably yes. Are they Super Bowl good? That's where the questions about Todd Downing come in. I think they can win the division with like me calling plays, frankly, and and I'm a terrible play caller, just for the record. So, um, I, I his his you evaluate him on the margins. We're evaluating Todd Downing on the top of the top of the top. Can you beat Buffalo on the road in in the AFC Championship game? Like that. That's that's where we're going to judge him, and we, we're not going to really know that until two thirds of the way through the season. I do think they're going to start kind of slow though. I just think there's, it's going to take some time, you know, the offensive line, we got a question at right tackle, the depth along the offensive line is a concern. If anybody gets hurt there, that's a problem. You mentioned the lack of practice. I do think there's going to be some growing pains the first couple of weeks. It, I still think they can beat Arizona, but I do think it's going to start slower than people think. Cause they expect, I think, like you said, the Ferrari. And I, I think they're going to have to like buy the base model and like continue to add like the supercharger and everything as the season goes along. And you kind of touched on, touched on this a little bit that I think is a really interesting point. Johnny Smith added a lot to this offense beyond just being a tight end. His blocking was, was decent. His route running was really good. They, he was a gadget player. There were times they lined him up in the backfield. I mean, I remember one, he had a 50-yard touchdown run against someone a couple of years ago. He, he was very underrated as far as his speed, his physicality. He did a lot of things that were kind of overlooked. Anthony Ferkser, completely different player. He's more of a go-catch-it-with-your-hands kind of block not really flashy. Jeff Swaim is known more for his blocking as well. So how are you feeling about that tight end room? Do you think, given that Todd Downing has coached tight ends before, do you think he can kind of pull it all together until one of those guys separates themselves as a clear tight end one? I I think Ferkser is a clear tight end one in in the passing game. I I don't think anybody else has his skill set. And I think he can match Johnny's production in that sense. To to your point, like we're going to run, like he, he made some exceptional catches in camp where, where he goes up over Kevin Byard in the corner of the end zone and makes a brilliant play. Like we, we, we've seen him do that. So if you're trying to scheme him into a route in a particular place on a particular down, I think Ferkser can absolutely handle that. You mentioned what made John who special was the yak. Like after he makes the catch, he, he could run through around by anybody in the league because he just is a, is a specimen physically and Ferkser doesn't have that yak element to his game. He, he's not going to go outrun people, make people miss, bulldoze somebody, and then pick up 14 more yards. Like, you're going to have to throw him past the sticks to get first downs or into the end zone, whereas Johnu can make things happen outside of that. And then, and, and as a blocker, he's clearly not the, the guy because if you look at everybody else, they tried. You know, whether it's Tommy Hudson, Jeff Swain, Luke Stocker, you know, you name it, he's not a guy they're going to line up in, you know, in line and, and have him say, you know, this week, go go block J.J. Watt one-on-one on an off-tackle play with Derrick Henry running the ball. Like, that's not that's not what he's going to do. So the the issue isn't that they can't find the the production with a group of guys. What, make, what makes Jonu and all NFL players special that are that level is the ability to do all of it so that the defense has no key. And with Jonu Smith, the defense, you cannot key on him. You, you don't know anything about the play based on what Jonu Smith was doing. And if you have Ferkser lined up sp- split out versus in line versus like you just, it's going to be a little bit more predictable. So you're going to have to hide that and you're going to have to work around that a little bit more. Um, 
you know, I think Kari Blossom game actually could play a really big role in replacing some of the around the line of scrimmage passing that they did with John New Smith. I wouldn't be surprised to see him because he is a great blocker. You can disguise those sort of short passing plays with him as a blocker, but then also run the ball out of those same formations. So I think don't be surprised if Kari Blossom game maybe catches a few more passes this year. And maybe that's where they replace some of the the short yardage games where they would, they would leak John new out into the slot and, and throw him the ball on a play action. I wouldn't be surprised if Kari Blossom game has a, a little bit bigger role in that sense. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point as well. And kind of kind of sticking with the passing game, the first few days of camp, it looked AJ Brown was just destroying people. He was going out there and playing with this anger. It's as if someone told him he wasn't as good as Kendall Wright was, and he took that out on the defensive <laughs> backs. He he dealing with his injuries, they kind of tailored him back a little bit. But given that he hasn't played that much in in camp and he hasn't played in the preseason, do you worry about that? Do you kind of buy into that? Like, oh, he, he sat out all preseason. He's rusty. It's going to take him a little bit to get back into it. And the, and the same thing could be said with Josh Reynolds. You know, his injuries kind of kept him out a little bit. But do you think that the Titans have to worry about that with those two players specifically? I, I don't know about Reynolds. That one is a, more of a question mark because he seems to be sort of day, day to day in Achilles. Maybe it's not fully healthy. He was limited, I think, on on Thursday um, as we're having this conversation, uh, AJ was back sort of full go on Thursday. I think Wednesdays are just going to be sort of his regular day off probably during the regular season. I, I'm not worried physically again, not being a doctor here, Julio Jones and AJ Brown physically being prepared to play football every Sunday. Like I just am not worried about their ability to go out and produce. Now it, is it, is it going to be perfectly in sync with Ryan Tannehill from the first snap? AJ has a much better chance than Julio does because he's been here and knows how the ball comes out of his hand. He knows how, how Ryan's going to read things. He, he under Ryan has seen AJ manipulate coverages and twist defensive backs in certain ways. And so you have to, there is a rhythm and an, and a, and a, you have to have all of that at some point. And you know, Julio's a, a hall of famer, so he, it won't take him long, but physically I'm not, you know, again, barring injury of which none of us can predict I am not worried about, you know, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, and, 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 and A.J. Brown being physically prepared to battle on Sundays. Uh, it's more about the, all right, when I, I just, that one half a step that Julio takes breaking out of the post route in front of the corner, did I read that correctly as the quarterback perfectly on the very first throw? Or is it going to take me seeing him do that a couple of times against real live professional defenses? before I can kind of know exactly where Julio is going to be that that may take a, a, a couple drives, a half, maybe a game or two. I, I don't know, but physically, no, I'm not worried about, I mean, it, Brown Jones and Henry are the three most physically gifted humans to ever put on Titans offensive uniforms. So I'm not, I'm just not as worried about the three of them being capable. It's far more about, you know, meshing with, with Tannehill and the offensive line and timing and all that stuff. And kind of switching gears and kind of honing in on the defense a little bit. I know it's you can't take much from the preseason. They're playing against other teams' twos and threes, but they did look a lot better. I And I, one thing I liked about it is it seemed like Shane Bowen kind of – there was relief in his eyes knowing he doesn't have to worry about specifically coaching inside linebackers. Then if Rabel's too busy having to kind of zero out into the whole defense. And that was the thing we heard from a lot of players last year is there were two different voices in that room, and sometimes it was hard to, to know which one to listen to. Given that Shane Bowen's attention is no longer split this year, 
and he is kind of overseeing the entire defense, and he's maybe seeing some things that he didn't get to last year as well. Given the additions they made as well, too, with Nico Autry, Bud Dupree, Jack Rabbit Jenkins, do you think that the Titans are at least good enough to get to middle of the pack this year? They were 28th last year. Do you think they can get up to that 15-16 range? I, I think they can, and I I like how you asked that because I think that's the goal. You're not asking them to be a top 10 defense. You're just asking them to be average. Um, you know, J- Jack J- Jenkins is a professional cornerback. Uh, Danico Autry is a professional defensive lineman. Bud Dupree is a, is a professional outside linebacker. Like these guys are just pros. And um, I, I think that's, that's what was, what was missing. It, it's not so much the pure talent because I, I think when you go back and look at Jarrell Casey and Logan Ryan specifically, you know, those guys aren't considered elite level, like skill guys at the time when they departed the Titans, Casey had been, been here nine years. Ryan was a veteran, but man, mentally, they knew everything about the game. They knew exactly where to be. They were huge leaders and voices in the locker room. I think the, the departure of those two guys was way bigger deal, not just on the field, but in the locker room. And so having a Dupree and a Jenkins who are, you know, Jenkins in particular, clearly setting the tone at practice every day, verbally talking to young players, you know, you know, just kind of getting the secondary going like he it was obvious that this group was more athletic, deeper and and sort of more prepared than they than they had been. Some of that is they've added a lot of really talented young pieces. Um, You know, Christian Fulton counts almost as a rookie in this on this team, Darrington Evans to some degree as well. But Elijah Molden is going to play in every game, which I think we we told everybody <laughs> going back in April. Elijah Molden is a is a NFL ready corner who can play in the slot right now, and we've seen that all camp. And he's going to play. Caleb Farley's got some work to do. Um, I, I think you're right about the communication with Shane Bowen and Mike Vrabel and Kevin Byard probably used the phrase communication like a thousand times last year um, when talking about all this. So. What does that specifically mean? Does that mean relaying the call in the game and getting lined up? Is that, you know, Jayon Brown's in charge of that, I think. And so Brown is, I think, totally capable and and excellent and one of the smartest football players I've ever talked to. Um, so I, I think that's a factor there as well, is, is Brown sort of taking on a bigger leadership role. He was not healthy at the end of the last season. So I, I think streamlining the communication, like you said, is going to be a big deal. I also just think, you know, Kevin Byard's going to be better. Like, I just think he's going to have a bounce back season. Autry is the biggest name that no one talks about. He, he, he gives them something they didn't have last year. And, and that is a, a dominant piece next to Jeffrey Simmons. They'll slide him in on third down and, and he can play tackle next to Simmons. And they can, he can, he's a great pass rusher, very disruptive on first and second down. He can play outside in that end role and is very disruptive I think Autry is is the biggest addition to the defense. And, and then you package in sort of the streamlined communication and a lot of young talent. Can they be 18th in the league? Absolutely. I, I, 100% I think they can, uh, especially if Bud Dupree is, in, is fully healthy from the word go. He says he is. If he's fully healthy from the word go, uh, just having that big mauling presence on the on one side, and then Harold Landry sort of bending the edge on the other side I, with Autry and Simmons in the middle, and a couple of young guys who've developed in those in that group. They're deeper there than last year. I, there's a there's a chance they could be you know 14 to 18 in the NFL overall, whatever given ranking you're talking about. And if you've got a top 10 offense and a middle of the pack defense, you're 
probably a pretty damn good football team. So uh, especially in what amounts to a dumpster fire of a division right now. So, <laughs> And uh, I asked this question a couple of weeks ago. We had Mike Herndon on uh, formerly with Broadway Sports. And I think it's worth revisiting now that we've seen all of training camp, all the preseason, the regular season is getting ready to start. The pass rush and the secondary are the two position groups that overwent or underwent the biggest overhaul in the offseason. Out of those two groups, I want to get your opinion on this too, because I feel like you have a good sense of the X's and O's. Which group do you feel like is under more pressure to perform this year, the pass rush or the <laughs> secondary? Well, the pass rush is going to get all the heat. You know, if you're talking about like social media and, and Twitter fingers and radio shows, like if, if they don't pressure the quarterback, you know, then that affects the secondary. So it's sort of, you know, the pass rush directly affects the secondary. The secondary, it, it, you know, if, if the, the guy's got three and a half seconds to throw, it doesn't matter how good you are at covering. It's it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to be successful. So it sort of all starts up front. But I don't, I also think sacks are super overrated. Uh, you don't need, and Dean Pease famously is, is a big component, proponent of all of this. Like, it's not about, sacks it's about affecting the quarterback like just get the quarterback off his spot make him have to take a step left right back whatever make him have to go a half a beat earlier you know it makes your secondary's job so much easier and that comes down to Simmons Autry Dupree and Landry and if those four depending on who else is in the mix whether or not you're because Elijah Molden's already looking like a guy they're going to blitz off the edge a little bit in that Logan Ryan mold um, Evans is, you know, I know Evans is a, is a lightning rod for Titans fans, but when he is attacking the quarterback and blitzing, he's pretty darn good. Um, Jayon Brown can be, can come up, come off the edge as well. Who plays in the middle? Is it TR Tart? He's had a really nice camp. Um, you know, who else, whoever else is in there. I think it's about the pass rush, but again, it's not about, you don't, you don't need to be third in the league in sacks. You just need to be, you know, top top 10 in pressures in hurries in getting the quarterback to, to kind of step off his spot and make a half a beat earlier throw or a half a beat late. And that gives your secondary a chance to make some plays. And so um, am I concerned about Christian Fulton going one-on-one, you know, outside, you know, we're going to have to learn about that. He's never done that. I really like Amani hooker. I think his game is exceptional. He, he is a modern NFL safety. He, he is, all the things that Kenny Vaccaro could not be, um, which is I can come up and tackle just like Vaccaro can, but I can play back and I can cover. And that's where Vaccaro was a huge liability. So um, short answer to your question is the pass rush, but it doesn't mean there's not big questions in both groups. I, you know, we haven't even like that, that entire conversation doesn't even include their first round draft pick, who is a freak of nature, athletically Caleb Farley, who just mentally needs to, he needs a lot of reps to kind of get going. So um, he's only played the position for two years and he hasn't played football in, in, you know, 18 months. So um, that's going to take some time, but he is a super athletic, awesome weapon once he gets to be a part of that. So I think the secondary is in pretty good shape for the next few years. The pass rush is the one that needs to make plays this year. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Caleb Farley because again, you don't want to overreact to what people are saying on Twitter because you know, no one, everyone is who's reasonable is on Twitter these days. But after he the joint practices with the Bucks, he got burned by Mike Evans a couple times. I, I know he he looked a little rusty. He he looked like he was a half step slow in some of the on some of the snaps he played in the preseason as well. But like you said, he's a freak of nature. The kid, if he wasn't injured, would have probably easily been a top ten pick. They got a they got a steal of a deal if he pans out the way they think they do. So what 
in your mind, what would be a what would a successful rookie year for Caleb Farley look like? Obviously, you don't expect him to start or break into the to the lineup, you know, the first couple of weeks. But how do you think the ideal process would go of easing him into the into the secondary? Uh, I think you want him active, obviously, for every game. And I do think that at some point now, if if Christian Fulton and Jack Rabbit Jenkins are good enough to be your outside starting corners the entire season, that's a good problem to have. So we can just kind of start there and say if they are comfortable enough with those two staying out there and and they're starting because they're too good, we're Titans fans are in a great spot. If Christian Fulton in week 14 is still starting outside because Caleb Farley is not up to speed, I think you start to have concerns. But this was sort of the expectation with him. We knew he wasn't going to be healthy until he got to camp. We knew he didn't play football in all of 2020. And for those that don't know, I I think I've mentioned this a million times, but he was a quarterback and a receiver coming out of high school, never played corner until he got to Virginia Tech, and then he switched positions, which is why he's so athletic at corner, (laughs) because he was a wide receiver and a quarterback. So he's literally only played the position for two seasons of his entire life. And every single time in camp, he would make a mental mistake or an error, twist his hips the wrong direction, you know, read the play the wrong way, go with an outside receiver on a switch when he should have stayed outside or whatever. He, the coach, you know, get on him a little bit, pull him back to the back. He was one of the only guys that stood with the secondary coaches and watched the game from sort of the all 22 perspective during practice. He wouldn't be on the sidelines during practice. He'd be in the back and he'd be talking with the coach the entire time through every rep because he clearly just mentally he, he's fighting the game because it's so fast and he's just not as up to speed yet. Um, athletically, he is going to be, you know, he's taller and bigger and longer and faster than all the other corners. <laughs> so it, it, the physical skills are just obvious. Like he stands next to everybody and you're like, Oh, that's why he's a first round pick. Okay. Um, it's all about the, the, the tricks of the trade and learning the tiny little things that these professional wide receivers and quarterbacks will do to you to try to get you out of position and they all get paid millions of dollars too. So, so um, that's the part of the game. I, by middle of the season, you'd like to see him taking some significant reps. I mean, I, I don't know if that means he's starting, if that means you want to slide Christian Fulton into the slot. I think they've got a really good slot player in, with Elijah Molden. So they sort of have like some extra time and wiggle room with him that they can ease him back into the, the fold. I think that's a really huge benefit, even though – traditionally you'd look at a first round pick and say, I, you need to start You're a first round pick. You need to start. I think they they've kind of buffered themselves a little bit because, you know, Fulton was a second round pick last year, basically a rookie this year. You've added Jenkins, uh, you know, Molden is a high quality piece. Breon borders had a great camp. Chris Jackson is a, is a, is a KG veteran. It, it just feels a lot more comfortable and a lot deeper this year than it did last year. No, I think you're absolutely right. They they have a lot of options. And ultimately, as a defensive coordinator, that's what you want is to not be kind of forced or backed into, uh, up against the wall into, into playing, you know, these three guys because that's literally all, the, all that they have. And I do think you're right. I think, again, never want to buy into the hype machine, but I, I think Elijah Molden is going to be one of the top shutdown slot corners within two or three years because the kid is just that good. And we'll kind of we'll kind of get you out on on this last one here. Well, real, real fast, I'll agree with you. Yeah. The, the the question is depth at safety. Actually, it, that that's the question. They they brought in like forty seven dudes during camp to fill the backup safety spots, and they still have not found exactly what they want there. So if either Bayard or Hooker gets hurt, that's actually I'm I'm more concerned about the depth at safety than I am at corner. Yeah, 
you would think eventually Dane Crookshank would just run out of of good fortune with this team, but he still keeps hanging on despite doing literally nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll kind of get you out of here on this. The Titans and the Cardinals play on Sunday. I'm not a big fan of, of score predictions, but I will ask you that there is a game on Sunday. Who do you think is the winner, the Titans or the Cardinals? And then if you had to pick one, it could be a player, one storyline, one thing to watch in the game on Sunday, what would it be? Uh, it, probably Titans offensive line and their ability to protect Tannehill in passing situations. Um, I, I, I'm not worried about Julio. Like, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I'm worried about Julio Jones and AJ Brown down the field, <laughs> especially with Malcolm Butler retiring like last week. Um, that's a major concern. So the real issue is with, and they've got a lot of dudes. Like JJ Watt will be good now i you know i'd rather play the cardinals defensive front when he's hurt in like week 11 but in in week one he's probably ready to go um chandler jones is super talented they've got some really high level skill rookie and and young pieces in that front seven they've got some really nice safety so it's about pressuring Tannehill. you don't even really know who the right tackle is and you don't like the depth anywhere along the offensive line so and again are you having to keep blossom game in? Are you having to keep one of these tight ends in to block? Like what, what does it look like when you're in known passing situations? Can you protect Tannehill? Because if you can, I, I don't know how you stop AJ Brown and Julio Jones. I, I don't know how you stop that. Um, especially if you, if you've got Derrick Henry to sort of make everyone think about taking a couple steps closer to the line of scrimmage. And, and then, so that that's, that's the areas. If they just continue to attack the right tackle with, with, you know, stunts and twists and off the edge slot blitzes. Like that's where I'd be concerned is just getting after Tannehill there on the other side. It's just about containing Kyler Murray. Like they've got so many weapons. Um, the, the matchup on the other side is just like the slot corners, the linebackers, the outside rushers, you're not trying. And, and Shane Bowen talked about this on Thursday at, during his availability. And he didn't, he didn't use the phrase shotgun versus rifle, but I'll use it for him. Cause that's the analogy he was going for. You don't want to take rifle shots at Kyler Murray because if you miss, he's gone. You want to take a shotgun approach, <laughs> which is spraying a lot of spraying a lot of pellets in a very wide, you know, you, you want to kind of go slower and be closer and kind of contain. And that that's sort of going to be the game plan. They've been very good at that traditionally under Mike Vrabel against Lamar Jackson. They were very good about that outside of the one big play last year in the playoffs. So they've been good about containing quarterbacks because they have very good defensive backs who tackle in space. And that is where Elijah Molden plays a big role. Excellent tackler, Amani hooker, excellent tackler. You got to have guys that come up in space and make good tackles. And uh, I think they've got those guys. So it's all about containing Murray. He's going to get you for a couple plays, but if you contain Murray and you protect Tannehill, I, I think the Titans can, you know, I don't know what the spread is, but I, I like the Titans to win. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as well. I, I do think the Titans will win. I think it'll be a close game. You're right. I think it's going to come down to defending Kyler Murray. And if, hey, if you ever want a chance to prove your defense is better, go out and stop Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. This will this will be the true, I think, measuring stick for how good this Titans defense can be this year. That'll wrap it up for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter at Braden Gall. 440 Sports. Is that at 440 Sports? You got it. Yep, at 440 Sports. So yep. We'll link to the, to the website and stuff in, in the post as well. Uh, Braden, thank you for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Good talking to you, and uh, it's going to be a heck of a weekend. Everybody enjoy. Sure. Go tailgate. It's a lot of fun.